Andrew Womack Ministries presents part two in the How to Follow God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, Moses Missed God's Timing. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. So we have been talking about, I, I did a series in Orlando at the last GTS about how to find God's will. If you missed any of that, please get the teachings from that series uh, we have those available here and you can get them. It's so important that you find out what God's will is. This series I'm talking about is how to follow God's will. And I want to share something with you this morning that is really powerful. This is one of the things that God has used dramatically in my life. This has been a major deal. And it saved me making some critical mistakes. And I think it could help you. We're going to be talking about Moses and I'm going to be showing you that just knowing God's will for your life is not enough. As important as that is, and I'm not trying to minimize that, you've got to know God's will. You need to have God reveal His will to you. And you need to have some direction and a goal in front of you that you are moving towards. If you're shooting at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. Amen. And so you need to have direction for your life. I'm not trying to minimize that. But I'm saying finding out God's will for your life is just the first step. Then you've got to learn how to follow God's will and how to cooperate with Him. And Moses messed up big time, big time in this area and caused himself a lot of grief and caused the entire Jewish nation a lot of grief and sorrow because he had a revelation of what God's will was but he didn't have a clue about how to fulfill it. And so he did things his own way and caused a lot of problems. Let's turn over here to the book of Exodus and look at some of this. We're going to have to be reading from Exodus and also from Acts and from Hebrews because uh, the scripture comments on itself. And you know, I'm amazed when they make these movies like the Ten Commandments how totally off base they are in so much of the detail. And it's because if all you did was read the book of Exodus and think that this is the story of Moses, then there's a lot of details left out and you could come to conclusions and this is what people have done. But when you read Acts and also Hebrews, the Holy Spirit inspired people to write about Moses and they fill in a lot of details that you don't get just reading in the book of Exodus alone. But let's start over here in the book of Exodus and read some of this. In Exodus chapter 2 is when Moses was born and there had been an order by Pharaoh to kill all of the male children born to the Israelites because the Israelites were multiplying and growing and they were possibly going to take over the land of Egypt. So the Pharaoh was afraid and told all of the midwives to kill all of the male children. At this time Moses was born you know, here's, here's just a little P.S., something for you to think about. Every notable time in history where a dominant world leader has come on the scene, such as Moses, such as Jesus, there was a move by the government to kill infants. It's like Satan could tell that something was coming and he tried to kill and to stop this. And today we have over 52 million babies that have been murdered in the United States alone. And that's not including New York and California aren't required to report all abortions. 52 million abortions 
without including New York and, and California, which are probably the highest abortion rate of any. And you know what? There is a huge movement to kill infants. And I believe that it's because we are at the end time and it is a critical time and Satan is trying to do things. And so that's negative on one respect, but on the other respect, God's got a way to circumvent it. He was able to preserve Moses through this time. And so his life was preserved and his parents kept him for three months and then put him in a basket and, uh, you know, daubed it with pitch and put it in the river and just let it float. And it floated right to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter recognized that this had to be one of the Hebrew children. And so she took the child and raised it as her own. You know, this is neat. Satan's trying to kill whoever the potential leader is. Pharaoh is his instrument. And Pharaoh says, kill all of the male children. And God sends the next leader to Pharaoh and makes Pharaoh pay for his upbringing (laughs) and training and everything. And I tell you what, God's got a way of getting it done. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And so anyway, this is the story. And and Pharaoh's daughter raised uh, Moses as her own. And it says in verse 10 that the child grew and she brought and uh, she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren And looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to them that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. But this is basically the summarization of the first 40 years of Moses' life. There's not a lot of detail right here, and from this... People have taken all kinds of things. And again, I've got to counter some stuff. I'm not against the show, The Ten Commandments. I own it on video. I watch it. I get good out of it. But there's a lot of junk in there too. And one of those things is that they show Moses as just a good old boy who saw an Egyptian destroying a Hebrew and just out of a sense of right and wrong, he defended him and it just accidentally fell into this and he didn't know he was a Jew. And it just... All kind of happened. It wasn't on purpose. That's not what the scripture says. Look at these verses over in Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen speaking. Stephen was the very first martyr, Christian martyr. And right before they stoned him to death, he was recounting Jewish history to show that he wasn't against the Jewish faith. He was fulfilling all of the promises and the prophecies that were given to the Jews about the coming of the Messiah. And he was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and at his death, as they stoned him to death, Jesus, it says Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. But Stephen saw Jesus standing 
at the Father's right hand. Jesus stood up in honor of the very first person to be martyred in His name. And so I believe that Stephen was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the things that he said add to, they do not contradict, but they fill in the blanks and give us a better understanding of what actually happened to Moses. And so in Acts chapter 7, as he recounts Jewish history, it says in verse 20, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Did you know Moses in the fourth chapter of Exodus, when God appeared to him in the burning bush, God told him to go down and bring deliverance to the Jews. And Moses says, God, I can't talk. I'm not wise. I'm not learned. I can't speak. They won't listen to me. This is the Holy Spirit saying that he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So you know what? When Moses says, God, I can't do this. He's just like you and me. That the truth is we could do it, but we get intimidated and overwhelmed and we start saying that we can't do these things. But with God's help, with His anointing, we could do all of this. He was mighty in words and deeds. And he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Did you know that the Egyptians could embalm people? Of course, all of us have seen these mummies that still had hair and skin on them thousands of years later. Did you know that mankind, with all of our wisdom today, can't do this? Did you know that they had cataract surgery in Egypt? That they could do brain tumors? They had things, they were so advanced for their time. There's still some things that they did that we can't do. Hadn't figured out how they did it. Nobody's figured out how they built the pyramids. Except those of you that believe aliens helped them. (laughs) But nobody's figured out how all of this stuff happened. And I tell you, they were, and it says he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was not anybody's fool. Moses had a lot of wisdom, and yet when God came to him, God, I'm nobody, I can't do this. Just like some of you. You could do it, but you just get intimidated and stuff. And so anyway, this is an important piece of information. In verse 23, it says, And when he was full 40 years old, did you know that this is the only place in Scripture it tells us how old he was when this happened? And so if you just read Exodus over there and don't read... Uh, here in Acts, you wouldn't get this piece of information. But he was 40 years old when he went out and killed that Egyptian. And so it says, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. This says it came into his heart. This wasn't something that just accidentally happened. It wasn't providence, fate that made it happen. This was something God spoke in his heart. It's very similar to what I was talking last night. That you delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will start putting things in your heart. And Moses knew he was a Jew and it was in his heart to go out and visit his brethren. And the next few verses will make it very clear that he knew he was a Jew. This, he was not ignorant of his uh, origin and stuff. And he saw the oppression of the Jews and he related to it. And God put it into his heart to go out and visit his brethren. And in verse 24, it says, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Verse 25 says, For, this is why he did it, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. 
Well, this just makes it as crystal clear as you can get it that Moses knew God had called him to bring deliverance to the Jews. He knew he was the deliverer. He knew that God had raised him up and put him in a position of leadership so that he could bring deliverance to the Jews. He knew God's will for his life. But he supposed that it was going to happen by him killing an Egyptian and through his strength and through his might and through his position. So here's the point I'm trying to get across. Moses knew God's will for him. We don't know how long he knew it, but we know according to scripture that he knew that God was going to deliver the Jews by his hand, but he totally missed God's timing and God's plan for bringing that to pass. And so here is a critical piece of information for us. That is that, you know what, finding out God's will for your life is absolutely imperative. You've got to have a knowledge of God's will. But if all you have is a knowledge of God's will, and if you aren't sensitive enough to the Lord to be led by Him and listen to Him, you can blow the whole thing. Moses blew it big time. Moses messed up God's plan and cost... I'm going to say something right here. It'll take me a while to defend, so don't reject it just because you don't necessarily understand this. But it cost Moses 40 years in the wilderness that God never planned. That wasn't God's will for Moses. And it cost the Jews 30 years extra bondage because he tried to bring God's will to pass in his own strength and power. Some of you are thinking, where do you get that from? Look over in Genesis chapter 15. Let me show you a passage of scripture here. This is where Abraham had an encounter with the Lord and they cut this covenant. He separated these pieces and at evening time, a deep sleep fell on him and this smoking lamp and a burning or smoking flax and burning lamp passed between the pieces. And anyway, God made this covenant with Abram and I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but here's just part of the covenant in Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards they shall come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So the Lord prophesied to Abraham that it would be 400 years before the children of Israel came out from this nation. And, you know, I hadn't got time to verify this. Again, some of you are going to struggle with this maybe a little bit. But over in the book of Galatians, I, I think it's chapter 3, it says the law that was 430 years after this promise, talking about Genesis 15... The law that was 430 years could not disannul or do away with the promise that was made to Abraham. So the 400 years that was prophesied was not from when the children of Israel went down into Egypt. They actually were a stranger this whole time living in the promised land because they didn't own the land. They weren't the people who were governing it. They were the strangers in it. And this 400 years is from this prophecy, not from the time that they actually went down into Egypt. The children of Israel, and again, I could 
spend an hour proving these things to you. I'm just going to say this, but the children of Israel didn't spend a, ma- a maximum of 170 years in Egypt, probably around 130 years. This is speaking about from this time, God prophesied that there would be 400 years and during that time they would go down into a nation and they would be oppressed and then they would be delivered miraculously. Now look over in Exodus chapter 12. I know some of you are having to think. Most people when they come to a meeting, they want to be inspired and fired up and everything and, you know... Don't want to think, but this will help you if you'd think and get this. You'll get a great truth out of this. In Exodus chapter 12 is where they came out after the 10 plagues had been, um, you know, delivered on the nation of, of Egypt and they, they let them go. And, and after the death angel came through and in Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 40, it says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day, the exact day, 430 years later, it came to pass that all the host of Egypt went out from the land of Egypt. So it was exactly 430 years from the time of that prophecy of Genesis chapter 15 until the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, exactly to the day, 430 years later. And yet, the Lord prophesied it would be 400 years. There's 30 years discrepancy. You know what that was? If you take, again, you have to go over to Acts chapter 7. I quit reading before I got to that. But in Acts chapter 7, it says 40 years after being in the wilderness is when God encountered Moses in the burning bush. So if you subtract the 40 years that Moses spent in the wilderness from this 430 years that it took for them to come out of the land of Egypt, that means that they were only in the 390th year of that prophecy when Moses went out and killed the Egyptian and tried to bring God's will to pass. Moses was at least 10 years premature trying to do what God had put in his heart to do. There is a timing to the things of God. And you can't just take a word from God and make a paragraph out of it and do whatever you want to. You know, you can't speed up the things of God. Now, you can delay them. Moses delayed it 40 years. He actually delayed the overall plan 30 years. And you know, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly what was going on. But let me just, I I believe that most of you have to agree with this logic. That here's Moses, a Jew who was destined to be killed and yet he survived miraculously. And he didn't just survive in some remote corner hidden someplace. He grew up in Pharaoh's household, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was second or third in command over the nation. You know, I've read secular accounts of Moses. Moses was a great leader and there are secular books and accounts of him. And Moses was one of the greatest generals that um, Egypt ever had. If you remember in the movie, The Ten Commandments, they had all of the Ethiopians coming in, bringing these peacocks and all of the fruit and stuff and things like this. Moses conquered Ethiopia. 
with the military might of Egypt and he was a tremendous general and leader and a powerful man and all of these things. And Moses was super influential. And I personally believe that Moses, he somehow or another knew his lineage. He um, knew that he was called by God to bring deliverance to the Jews and he just connected the dots himself and figured that certainly it's his position, his power, his authority, his clout. I mean, it was supernatural that he even survived, but to supernaturally survive in Pharaoh's household, this had to be God. Certainly God was going to use his position and all of his authority and that's how God was going to do it. He just supposed, he understood how God was going to do it. But you know what? God wasn't going to do it in some way that Moses would get the credit and that it would just be his position and that it was a civil war or something that happened within the household of Pharaoh. God was going to do it in a miraculous way and he was going to bring these plagues. And you know, the Egyptians worshipped so many different things as God, animals and stuff. And if you were to study this out, every plague came on one of their gods. They had a God of the Nile River. He turned the river into blood. He, they they worshipped insects and he had lice come up out of the dust of the ground. They worshipped frogs and he had a plague of frogs come on the land. I mean, he just not only devastated the nation, but he also devastated their theology and God was demonstrating to people who the true God was. The Lord had a way of doing bringing the children of Israel out miraculously and it wasn't going to be through military might and it wasn't going to be in a way that Moses would get the credit. Moses knew what God's will for him was, but he totally missed how God was going to do it. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there are people in the body of Christ by the millions that it's a similar type of thing. They may have stumbled upon what God wants you to do, but you just think, oh God, I can handle it from here. Now I know what you want me to do. What a wise choice you made in choosing me. I can see the wisdom. Man, I am so awesome. I am so talented. You just get me introduced. You put me on the stage and I can take it from here. Man, there's a lot of ministers doing that same thing. God touched them. They have a desire, but then they're going to get up there and they're going to do it in their own power and in their own ability and use their own wisdom And, and it's causing tremendous problems in the body of Christ. I, I mentioned this last night, but God's going to call you to do something that's absolutely beyond your natural ability. He wants to do things in a supernatural, miraculous way so that he gets all of the credit. He wants to use base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are nothing. It says, so that no flesh would glory in his presence. Amen. You know, if you could somehow or another bring your car to a mechanic and he could just put it on a machine and that machine would automatically diagnose, fix, and everything is just, I mean, you just plug it in and instantly everything's done. Nobody would leave talking about the mechanic. They'd leave talking about that machine. Look what that machine does. But you know what? When you just take your car to somebody that has a wrench in his hand, he's out there under a tree and this guy can fix it. You know what? You are impressed with that person's ability. And God uses people to do things beyond their ability so that people, when they see it, they say, man, that couldn't have been that person. You know, I remember I used to usher at Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. And I don't know if you've ever heard of her or read about her or seen her, but Catherine Kuhlman was weird. She was weird. 
She was offensive. I was very offended by her. And this woman just, she just turned me off. I did not like Catherine Kuhlman. I didn't enjoy anything about the meeting, but I was an usher. And after I got through ushering, I came and sat on the floor in the very front of the thing so that I could watch her. And she was weird. That's all you can say. She was just weird. The woman wore these flowing gowns with puffy sleeves and she floated like this and just did. It was just pitiful. And she'd say things like, me thinks I hear angels. And she'd get weird and spooky and it was weird. But you know what? I started seeing miracles. I started seeing people that were on stretchers that I had carried in there that I knew that they were sick and they were running up and down the aisles and jumping out of wheelchairs and miracles were happening. And you know what? When I looked at that, I said, God, this has to be you. That woman didn't do this. I can guarantee you, Catherine Kuhlman didn't get these people here. This is God. And God is going to call you to do something that's beyond yourself so that when the power of God flows through you, people are going to say, that's God. That's God. Amen. And you know what? God wanted to do something supernatural through Moses, but he made the mistake of thinking, oh God, thank you for revealing your will to me and what a wise choice you made with me. Look at my position. He was probably a great specimen of human strength and stuff. And he was mighty in words and deeds and he could talk and he, he just was really, really impressed with himself. And so he took a word from God and made a paragraph out of it and decided that he would just get it done on his own. Why wait 10 more years? You know, we don't know for sure that he knew the prophecy of Genesis chapter 15, but I suspect he did because the Jews were very diligent at passing on their history and all of these things. And I believe he knew that he was 10 years premature. But here's another logic that we still see operating today. And that is that people see that the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that you are not supposed to put a novice into a position of leadership. And yet, we see people who are movie stars, athletes, politicians, or somebody who's already got recognition, and they get born again, and we instantly make them the poster child for Christianity, contrary to what the Word says about don't put a novice in a position of leadership. And we do it because we think, oh, they've got all of this clout, and we can use this to help promote the gospel. And so we put people up in front who aren't qualified, they're novices, they aren't seasoned, they don't have the maturity, and we start putting uh, responsibility on them, contrary to what God says, because we think, but there's so many people dying and going to hell, and look, this athlete, look how many people he influences, and if we wait 10 years until he matures in the Lord, he won't be popular anymore, and we got to take advantage of it right now and do something now. And we constantly violate what scripture says because of our own reasoning thinking, oh, but we've got to do something now. You know, Moses could have used this logic. He could have said, God, I know it's still 10 years before the prophecy of Genesis 15 comes to pass. But there, let's just say that there were 100,000 people dying every year. And there's going to be 100,000 Jews die this year praying for deliverance from the oppression of the Egyptians. And if I don't do something, 100,000 Jews are going to die. And if we wait 10 years, then that would be a million Jews are going to die during these 10 years with their prayers unanswered. 
God, we've got to do something now. And we let the need and the desperate situation motivate us to do things contrary to what God instructed us. And I believe probably that's what Moses... He was sitting there seeing these little old grandmas out there that were being worked to death and suffering. And he was seeing this and he says, God, we can't wait. I know it's still 10 years premature, but we got to do something. But you know what you can't count when you talk about statistics? Is because of Moses' impatience and self-will and self-reliance, Moses was 10 years premature. He blew the whole thing. And he had to go into the wilderness for 40 years and it cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage because the person that God raised up to bring deliverance was still on the backside of the desert trying to learn to do it God's way. And during those 30 years, if you take the same, the same logic, if there was 100,000 people dying every year in slavery during 30 years then instead of one million people that died with their prayers unanswered because he was premature, there was three million people who died during those next 30 years that suffered under unnecessary slavery that wasn't God's will, that God would have brought them out if the leader would have just responded and followed God's will. See, when we sit there and think, but, you know, I can't wait. I can't go to Bible school. I can't get prepared. I can't do anything. I've got to do something right now. I've got to get out and start reaching people right now. And you could sit there and say, but there's people dying every day. And I can't just sit there and prepare myself and let them go to hell. What you can't count is how many people are going to go to hell because you got out there and crashed and burned and burned out and became a statistic, a negative statistic. And how many people are you going to turn against the Lord because you at one time were out in front and you messed everything up? You can't count those statistics. There's a right and a wrong way to do things. And see, Moses just ignored the fact he either was ignorant of, I personally believe that he ignored the fact that there was 10 years left before he was going to start accomplishing what God told him to do. And he just got out and self-willed, decided he would do it on his own. It was time now. You know, he could have used this logic. Well, why did God reveal it to me now if it's 10 years in the future? To prepare him. Did you know studying people's lives with David, it was a minimum, minimum of 13 years. We don't know exactly how long, but from the time he was anointed to be king, it was a minimum of 13 years until he became king. With uh, Paul, it was 14 years. You can go through the Bible and 10 years preparation would have been the quickest time of any main character in the Bible being prepared and used by God. It would have been the quickest. And plus, I personally believe that if he would have been seeking God, he could have been prepared in the palace, in the lap of luxury, without all of the hardships of the wilderness. Again, the Ten Commandments show, as Moses heads out into the wilderness, the narrator comes on and says, So Moses goes out into the wilderness with scorpions and snakes where prophets are made and starts talking about the hardships and implying that this was God's will to make him the person he was supposed to be. No, God didn't send Moses into the wilderness. Moses went into the wilderness because he had blown the whole thing. He could have stayed in the palace in the lap of luxury and have been prepared. 
God didn't put him in the wilderness. Moses put himself in the wilderness and he cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage because of his own self-will. And this, you didn't hear me teach on this, but in the first series that I did on how to find God's will, one of the major points, Romans 12, 1, you have to become a living sacrifice and then renew your mind and then you prove the good, acceptable and the perfect will of God. If you aren't a living sacrifice, if God revealed His will to you, you would get out and blow it, leaning under your own understanding. You're going to do it in your own strength and in your own power. You know, I could give you a hundred personal testimonies right here of things that to me look like this is really smart. This is the way it ought to be done. But praise God that I started out with this encounter with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968, And I at least had enough gumption to say, God, what is your will? What do you want to do? And there have been times that it looked to me like the smart thing to do is this over here. But God led me and I've followed God. And did you know God has blessed us so much? We have avoided so many pitfalls that other people have gone through. Man, we have been blessed, blessed, blessed. And I've been there to where in my own understanding it makes sense to do it this way, but God says do it this way. Did you know it doesn't make sense to give away all of your stuff, to make your materials free? When we started, you know, I've I've given away, I don't even know, over 6 million cassette tapes, books, CDs, and things like that. That doesn't make sense to give your stuff away. It costs money. It costs a lot of money to put out all the materials that we do. And we give them away. We, t- we tell people now that we suggest a donation of so much. But if you can't afford it, we'll give it to you. Our partners have enabled us to do that. And did you know over 50% of all of the requests that we get are from people that don't give a thing. And we give over 50% of our stuff away to people that don't send anything. That doesn't make sense. People think you can't do this. And yet we are prospering. And we are blessed. And you know what? It, there's just not a lot of people that like that. David Hardesty is the first manager I've ever had that accepted this. Every manager I've ever had fought me over giving things away. But he understands it. He even came to my defense one time when another minister got on my case about giving things away. And uh, you know what? It works. When we started our website... We discussed, should we pay for all of these CDs and books and everything that's on the website? And I thought, well, I've given away free tapes, books, and CDs. And the website's actually cheaper for us than it is to put out the stuff and mail it. And I said, why don't we just give it away? And you know what? Again, doesn't look smart. Doesn't make sense. And yet we decided to do it. And at that time, I may have the figures a little bit wrong, but we were less than $5,000 a month that we were getting through our website when we, d- we decided to put all the stuff on and just make it available free. I don't know how many of you visited our website, but our website is unique in the sense that it has, I mean, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of our product that are free that you can get, watch, download. It's just free. And did you know when we started giving everything away, I, this month will be over $300,000 this month that comes in through the website. We were getting 5000 a month. When we started giving things away, now we get over $300,000 a month. It works. And you know what? That may not be what God told you to do. I'm not against anybody else, but I'm saying that 
God will lead you to do things and you can't just sit there and lean under your own understanding because everybody else does something this way, you do it. God has a specific plan for you and you need to learn to listen to God's plan and His timing for accomplishing His will. And even if most people do stumble across God's will, then the moment they get a direction, boom, they're gone. They don't wait for instructions. I'm trying to get across to you that it's as important to understand the plan and the timing for accomplishing God's will as it is to even know what God's will is. You may understand that God wants you to start a business, but do you have God's timing for it? Do you have His wisdom about how to do it? Man, just having God give you wisdom, I mean, uh, direction is not enough. You need the wisdom of God to be able to accomplish it. God may want you to do something that is totally different than every model you've ever seen before. You know, it's amazing. Preachers, they hear somebody has a bus ministry and so they start a bus ministry and they go to this conference and somebody does this and so that's what they do. And so they have all of the seeker-friendly stuff and so that's what they do. And then they change their name to make it modern and let's have a contemporary worship and everybody's just going around following each other like little ducks. You know what? God's got a plan for you. God can tell you what to do. Just to know that you've been called into the ministry, that God led you to do this, you need to find out how to do it and that only comes through personal relationship with God. So finding God's will is essential. But figuring out how to follow God's will, to get God's plan is just as important. And it's amazing how few people continue with the Lord. You know, people, when you're in a crisis situation and you don't have any direction for your life and you're miserable and you know that there's got to be something more than what you've got, you'll start seeking the Lord and you'll get serious. Oh, God, help. And you seek the Lord because you just don't have a clue. But then God gives you a clue and you quit seeking God because now you got what you were after and now you just start leaning under your own understanding and doing it your own way. It's exactly the opposite. You need to be God dependent, not only when you don't have direction, not only when you're in a crisis situation, but you're actually your most vulnerable when, when things are going good. When it seems like you have direction, when everything is going well, that is when you are your most vulnerable because you tend to depend upon yourself more. Everybody depends upon God when the crisis is on. When, when you are in big trouble and if God doesn't come through, you're going to crash and burn. Most people will seek God then. But you know what? Only the really mature Christians, the ones that are committed to God, will seek God as hard when everything's going good, when there isn't any problems, when it looks like everything's wonderful. That's when you need to seek God more than any other time because that's when you tend to depend upon your own self and get away from God more than others. If I was to ask most of you here, and if you'd be honest with me, most of you spend more time praying and seeking the Lord when you're in a crisis than you do when everything's going good. And that's the reason that you go from crisis to crisis. It's because in a crisis you seek the Lord. God gives you wisdom and shows you something. You follow it. Things begin to work. And as soon as they begin to work, you quit seeking God and lean back under your own understanding and crash and burn again. See, this is what Moses was going through. Moses, he had a revelation of God's will, but he just supposed, God, I know now 
why I'm in this position. I know why I've got all of this authority. And he just assumed God was going to use him because he was hot stuff. He was just it. And he thought God was going to use him because of that. He totally missed God's plan. He cost himself 40 years in the wilderness struggling that he didn't have to endure. And he cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage because he tried to do it his own way. And you know, that's tragic. And we could just talk about this and amplify it. But you know, let me say this, that despite how badly he messed up, you know what? God's gifts and callings are without repentance. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And even though he messed up, God didn't just raise up somebody else to do it. God waited on him. 40 years. 40 years. God molded him in the desert. He was learning. And again, the Ten Commandments movie shows Moses just out there in the desert like, God, leave me alone. I never want to hear from you again. He didn't want anybody to know that he had ever known God, that he had ever been associated with God. He was out there trying to escape God. That's not what Hebrews said. In Hebrews, it says he endured those 40 years as seeing him who was invisible. And I could take those words and dissect them and go into it. But the word endure isn't talking about that he just survived. It's talking about he persevered. He was looking for God throughout this entire 40 year period of time. Moses was saying, God, I know that I blew it, but you still have a purpose for my life. I will accomplish. He endured. He persevered. He was not uh, running from God. He was seeking God throughout those entire 40 years and looking for God. Now that's important. And it says to us that, you know what, some of you may think, man, you know, God at one time revealed some things to me and I tried to do it and I just totally made a mess of everything. There may be some of you that, you know, you've been divorced and you feel like that, man, you could never accomplish what God's original purpose for you was. There's some of you that have failed in business. You failed morally. You failed in so many ways and you just feel like it's over. Maybe God had a purpose for me at one time. But again, Romans eleven twenty nine: 29, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God never changes. God has never changed his mind about you. He created you for a purpose. And regardless of how messed up you are, God can still work something out. David wasn't God's first choice. Saul was God's first choice. 1 Samuel 13, 13, told, Samuel told Saul, If you would have obeyed me today, I would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. There never would have been a David. David was not God's first choice. He was an afterthought. And yet look how awesome David was. God's plan B is better than most of us could imagine plan A being. Some of you may think, man, I've messed up my life so bad, God can't fix it. But you know what? If you have one of these GPS things and if you make a wrong turn, it'll say recalculating and it'll, it'll get you back to where you need to go. It doesn't say, you idiot, you turn wrong, forget it. You can't get there from here. Amen. <laughs> And if a GPS can teach you and get you back on track, I guarantee you God can do it. It doesn't matter what, how you've turned, God can get you back on track. 
And so Moses cost himself 40 years in the wilderness, cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage, and yet God still had a plan for Moses, and God still used Moses. Man, that ought to encourage you. That ought to help you. And there's some of you that just feel like, well, I tried, but it was you trying. It'll be different. It'll be different when God does it. It's like in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 5, the disciples toiled all night and they fished and they didn't catch one single fish. In the morning, they were getting ready to come in and quit their fishing and Jesus said, you know, launch out into the deep and let your nets down one more time. And they said, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing. And they said, nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. And this time they did the same thing that they had done in the past, but this time they did it at the direction of God under his guidance. And every fish in the Sea of Galilee tried to get into that net. They, they broke their nets. And you know, here's another great truth. It says in Luke chapter 5, I don't know if they have that up there, but it says, he says, let down your nets, plural. Let down your nets, more than one net. And it says that they let down their net, singular. They obeyed, but they didn't totally obey. They halfway obeyed. They weren't expecting much. And so instead of letting down nets, plural, they only let down one net. And because of it, they couldn't contain all of the fish that God had for them. And so the net broke and many of them escaped. If they would have let down nets, plural, the nets wouldn't have broken. They would have had twice the... Twice the uh, uh, catch that they had, but you know what? They just really weren't expecting much. And so they only put one net down when he said, put down your nets, plural. I'm telling you that there are some of you think, oh, I've already tried this and it didn't work. That's because you tried it. You didn't do it at the command of God. Some of you, if you would go back and this time, let God direct you. And let God lead you. You might do the exact same thing that you've done before, but this time you would get a totally different response because it would be under His anointing. It would be under His leadership. It would, it would be totally different. There's some of you that have tried to witness to family members, but you did it. You went in and condemned them, and you went in, and you were going to impress them with who you were, and you know what? You've been totally rejected, and yet you could go back and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, humble yourself and go and maybe say the same things and get totally different results. I'm telling you, there isn't just a cookie cutter way of doing anything. We have a personal relationship with Jesus. This is what sets us different from every religion on the face of the earth. They have systems and rules and regulations, but we have a personal relationship. We are all God possessed. Jesus lives on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us and he will talk to us. You know, I've had two or three people during this meeting already after I pray for them, they say, now what should I do? Do I quit my medicine? Do I still go do this? Do I do this? And I said, I can't tell you what to do. You can't operate off of my faith. It depends on where you are and what you're believing. I said, that's what God gave you the Holy Spirit for. You pray. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. And you do what you have peace about doing. But see, there's so many people that, again, they're just wanting to, to get some rule that will solve all of their problems. we got a personal relationship with Jesus. If you will pray, He will talk to you. God's real. He's alive. 
And he's not just there for the preachers or for the full-time ministers. He's there for every one of us. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and guide you. And brothers and sisters, God has a will for your life. But even beyond the will, he's got a plan and a timing for accomplishing it. And you need to have a vibrant relationship with God to where you can hear from God and be led by God in order to see God's will fulfilled. Jamie and I were called into the ministry in 1968. And you know what? We have sputtered and we've been through some hard times and we could have quit. Most people looking at us would have told us you should quit. Many, many times. But you know what? We had a personal relationship with the Lord and we just kept that going and God would give us step by step. And praise God, we're seeing now people's lives change. People used to stay away from my meetings by the thousands. I mean, it was just supernatural, the people that wouldn't come. And now it's just supernatural, the response. We had four, over 4,000 calls a week ago Friday in one day. People are just responding and things are happening and we're touching people's lives. And it's amazing. But you know what? God had a plan and because we kept in relationship with Him, He will work this thing out. You aren't going to find, you aren't going to have God reveal His will to you and then you just are able to go for the next 10 years without ever talking to Him, fellowshipping with Him. You do it on your own. You've got God's direction. And this is the reason so many people are failing. It's because they don't spend time with the Lord. They don't have a personal relationship. They don't study the Word. They don't pray. They aren't humble before God. They're going to do it on their own. And I'm speaking to some people here today that I guarantee you, you have gone out on your own and have messed up things royally. Maybe God gave you the perfect mate and led you to the one and you went out and blew the whole thing. Maybe he revealed his will to you and gave you a job and stuff and you've blown the whole thing. But you know what? God can still salvage this. If you would get humble before God, just take Moses as an example. You know, I ran out of time today, so I'm going to have to continue this tonight. Uh, I really, the point I was trying to get to, I didn't make. So we'll make that tonight. <laughs> I don't ever get through. I just quit. <laughs> and we start again. But tonight, I'm going to share something with you about Moses that is going to make a big difference. It will really, really help you about how he was able to recover from making such a mess out of what God had called him to do. And there's a lesson in that that all of us can learn and we can recover too. But man, it is so important to understand what God's will is, but then you have to learn how to follow God's will. You have to learn how to be sensitive to Him because brothers and sisters, we are not capable of representing God and accomplishing His plans in your own strength and ability. The Lord didn't create you and wind you up like one of these little robots and then just let you go on your own speed and energy. You need to learn to be God-dependent. You know, one of the scriptures that has ministered to me the most is a scripture that probably none of you have underlined in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. In, in the 10th chapter, Jeremiah is prophesying total destruction, that your women are going to be raped 
and women that are pregnant are going to be ripped up and the babies taken out of them. You're going to be killed. And it's just prophesying total destruction. And then he says, how could this be to the people who were once the apple of God's eyes, the people who were more blessed than any other group of people on the face of the earth? How could such a thing happen? And then he answers his own question. He says, for I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. And you know what he's saying? He says, why could this happen? It happened because... The Israelites decided that they'd do it their own way. They quit seeking God. They quit following the instructions of God. They wanted to be like the nations around them. They wanted a king because all of the other nations had a king when God had been their king. They wanted all of this and they leaned under their own understanding. You want to know how destruction happens? People today, there's many religious people saying, well, it's God that caused this tragedy in your life. He's breaking you and humbling you. No, God's not the one that's your problem. God's not causing problems in your life. If your life is a mess, you know why it's a mess? Because you leaned under your own understanding. Because you did it your way. And you could be a good person and you could have meant well and you could be sincere and you could have been begging and pleading with God to help you. But I can guarantee you, if your life is a wreck, it's because you wrecked it. Or somebody else that you led into your life that you chose helped you wreck it. Something like that. But God has a perfect plan for you. God's will is goodness. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's will isn't for you to be hurt and struggling. Religion is saying that that's God. I'm saying it's not God. I'm saying that we have shipwrecked ourselves by doing things our own way. And so you need to not only find out God's will, you need to find God's timing and God's plan for accomplishing His will. And that's only going to happen as you get into relationship with the Lord. And you know, there's many things that are involved. The, the Word of God is absolutely essential. This is how you get the mind of God. How you learn His ways is through the Word. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for having relationship with the Father. You can be born again and you can know God from a distance, but for you to have an intimacy with God, you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit has come, He will reprove of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will reveal me unto you. The Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance he will give you an understanding that you may know Him. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, today I can truthfully say that every person in here needs to be born again. You need to, you need to have your sins forgiven, have a personal relationship with God. And then you need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to have that relationship with God. And if I had time, I could talk a lot about speaking in tongues. But speaking in tongues is super important really important. Last night we had, I don't even know how many, but I think it was over a hundred people that came forward and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, I've had so many people in our meetings say that, you know, I received the Holy Spirit and my life has never been the same. My life changed more through receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit than it did through getting born again. I'm not saying that being born again is less important, but that's something that's internal and it's eternal but when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it takes the power and the life that you received that salvation and releases it into your everyday life. 
And like Jesus said, you receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so you need this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. If there's anybody here today who doesn't have that, and if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive that. If there's anybody here that isn't born again, you need to receive that. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.